Hello and welcome to the next edition of this Harrington Star podcast. Whether it's Fintech Focus TV you're listening to or our diversity and inclusion specials, we hope you're enjoying the shows and please do subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Women of Fintech podcast series. We're here today to celebrate the wins, raise awareness of the challenges and walk the walk for change across the entire industry. I'm very excited to have Kate Bond here today. Welcome, Kate. Thank you. Um, so she describes herself as an innovation evangelist and connector, and she's here today to talk about true creativity and fostering the right environment for innovation. So Kate, tell us about your background. Well, thanks for having me, first of all. Um, my background's slightly random for somebody who works in the banking industry, but thankfully it's becoming a little bit more normal, whatever normal is. Yeah. So I originally thought I'd kind of be knee deep in sort of either jewellery making or packaging design at this point in my life. Um, Great, I didn't, love all these things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I definitely didn't get onto the degree courses that I wanted to do, but I yeah. managed to stay a bit creative and I went to Camberwell School of Art. Yeah. And... From there, I worked in the art industry, then realized I didn't have a trust fund, so I needed to get out and actually pay my bills. <laughs> and I looked across, I have a twin sister, yeah. and she was already in banking. A lot of my colleagues right. and friends were either management consultants or working in banking. And in terms of a transferable skills piece, it was kind of, if you're not going to be doing what you love, sell your soul to the highest bidder. So right. I, I came across thinking, banking, that's good for me. I'd, I'd tried a couple of different avenues whereby I was either underqualified or overqualified at every turn. So you can't start anything. Changing industries at 29 is not a clever idea, although actually it's worked out really well for me. So give it a go if you're yeah. inclined. Um, I had the opportunity to do a bit of contracting, almost sort of try different companies on for size, see nice. what I liked, see what I didn't like. And um, a very lovely lady called Lisa had a very unfortunate position where her fiancé, who was an elephant keeper at a zoo, I think it was Regent Zoo, um, he was crushed by his elephant and very unfortunately died. And therefore, I got the opportunity to come in as a compassionate leave cover and take on that role. Very sort of much an administrative perspective mm -hmm. for a couple of weeks while she was sort of dealing with the fallout of that. Mm. And really took it as an opportunity just to say, where there's, an, where there's an option to say yes, say yes. Um, where something excites me, check it out. And, and almost be a little bit fearless about the different things I was doing. I was a contractor, there was kind of zero risk. Mm -hmm. If it didn't work out, I could go and get another contracting role. And the guys from the US were over. We went out drinking, as you do in British culture. And I maybe had one too many. And we were talking about you know the rise of the internet and this newfangled thing. and how we could cut down on hard copy research distribution costs. Right. So this is all around sort of 99, 2000. Mm. And I'm sitting there going, hell yeah, I can do that when they're saying we need someone to launch this in Europe and sort of across the EMEA region, look after that. So they literally turned around and went, okay then, um, let's do this. You're gonna be bouncing out five countries a week, seeing people, it could be one-on-one, -on -one, it could be in an auditorium of 500 people. It may or may not have technology capability that works because this is a while ago. The internet was only just getting going um, and, re and really kind of grew from there. The opportunity to build JVCs that were looking at different ways of basically simplifying people's lives, whether it was a trader or, or someone who was on the receiving end on the buy side. And I know nothing about banking, really, but I definitely brought an ability to look at things a different way and see if there was a way of democratizing and simplifying 
what was already in place or even just looking at some of the challenges people had and mm. going from there. So, you know, really that's my background into how I mm. arrived here. I love a lot of what you said there. <coughs> like you've said so much there about can-do attitudes. Like I talk a lot about that and I really like to encourage that yeah. in these podcasts to show people that do you know what, if you put your mind to something, anything is achievable. Yeah. The fact that you've just said, I said yes to things. Yeah. I gave stuff a go. Um, fearless as well. Those things mean so much to me. So yeah. I, I absolutely love that story. Um, you, you've, you've spoken to me before about diversity of thought um, yeah. and how important that is to you. So could you tell us a bit about what you mean by this? Yeah, sure. Um, so as an identical twin, <coughs> which already puts you to slightly off to the one side of yeah. normal already, I've, I've kind of fought for what is my new unique identity, what is it that Kate brings rather than Kate's other half, you know, perpetual other half, mm. and that, that comparison piece of who's better, who's worse, who's, who's good at this. And um, for a long time, it's been lots of things around what you should do, what you must do, what you have to do, how you think. And, and even at school, I would sit there saying, well, I want to do maths and I want to do art and I want to do economics. Uh, and people are kind of like, no, you know, computer says no almost, mm. that that's not normal. You almost have to start pigeonholing yourself and your direction of travel when you're 14. And that kind of didn't really work for me. So all these people constantly saying, no, that's not right, or you shouldn't really be doing that, you know. Plus, I come from a background of really strong women who have probably not quite done what was expected of them. So a matriarchal structure in my family, my, on my mother's side. Um, four generations up until I was at least 22. Um, my great-grandmother was an extraordinary lady who sort of headed up this whole family. My grandmother was a wren in the Second World War. She then wow. went into education in New South Wales, yeah. sort of uplifted the whole family from England to Australia, which is where my mother then met her future husband. Um, my mother was again the primary breadwinner in our family. Um, she was ultimately a survivor of domestic violence, which wasn't great, but she she had that very strong can-do attitude. And, and this is in the time sort of late 70s, early 80s, when really working mothers were frowned upon. And also trying to be anything other than a PA was a bit weird, you know, if, mm. at best after school you'd go and do a typing or a, a, or a yeah. um, secretarial course. Some sort of secretarial course, exactly right. Um, and watching those people become the best at what they were doing, you almost inherently thought that kind of anything was possible. And, and then the outside would tell you that actually, no, you, you can't do this. Don't do that. Be this, not that. And I think with that constant comparison with my sister, I've always been kind of like, there is an availability for different, different thoughts, different ideas, different backgrounds. If you if you want to create really robust and inclusive outcomes. Mm -hmm. And I don't really mind if that outcome is just an understanding that de-risks future conversations maybe because you've got a broader understanding or, mm. a, or a broader knowledge base to build off. Or actually you're building products where things like thinking about your vulnerable customer is built in from the very beginning. Mm. And when, I, I, when I was in the art world, um, my, my dissertation was around creating a, an environment for sensitive artworks. And so instinctively you go for the most sensitive artwork, which is a 
So I used stereo photographs, which were a daguerreotype of a photograph, which are hugely light sensitive. And a bit like when you hear stories about film that's been stuck in a tin and it's, oh, yeah. you open the tin and all of a sudden it, it disappears, right? Mm. So if you, if you start with the thing that says, this is my most sensitive, most precious, most likely to disintegrate, product artwork so I'll build an environment that looks after that and de facto I've already got it done for anything else that happens to come across whether yeah. it's an an oil painting or, or something else we're around environment around pH structure all of those kind of things mm. so if we do that for our customers you know that that thing that we get now where we're suddenly like oh people might be deaf oh people might be blind oh people might not have such easy access to a branch whatever it is you've already built that in rather than trying to tweak or fudge whatever it is you built in the first place that kind of didn't think about it because you were only thinking about someone who looks and smells like you. I think fudge is the operative word there, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. That's what we're seeing all over the show. And I yeah. think that's what a lot of these podcasts are about, to, to begin the thought process correctly. Yeah. But at the same time, can always rewind. Of course, of course. And the fact that it is being overlaid later is is great because yeah. previously it wouldn't have even been had that. Thing, yeah. No, it wouldn't have even been a discussion in the room. Yeah. It, w yeah. it not even a passing thought. Yeah. Whereas at least you know it's conversation. People are trying. Mm. Um, but I think really what we need to get to is having it at the beginning. That sort of human-centered design aspect that says actually who are we building this for, and do they all look like us or not? Yeah. Um, and I think also some of that also comes from when I was at university. I I had a car accident and I broke my back. Oh, wow. um, and for a really long time, I was kind of, oh, Kate, you know, she'll never amount to anything. She's going to be in a wheelchair. Blah. And lots of offers to, do you want to retake your year at your degree? And I'm like, no, you know, let's just keep moving forward. You know, just there's a blip in the road, but, you know, yeah. we can keep going. And, you know, I'm really fortunate. I'm not in a wheelchair. I have a new normal. I have, you know, a different understanding of what hurts and what doesn't hurt. And so... I have that aspect that I'm bringing to it that says, actually, when you create an auditorium room, are those the most comfortable chairs? Do we really want to have people sitting still for an hour and a half? Because personally, I get really fidgety after about 40 minutes mm. because it's just uncomfortable for me. Mm. You know, do I have to hike up lots and lots of stairs, but I'm terrified of heights, you know, where you've got nothing underneath it. Um, and then I've got a daughter now who just is the most extraordinary little character and anyone who is around small children will know that watching them engage and interact with the world and the things around them is just the most amazing privilege to watch mm. and she you know reading age of 16 at nine and amazing Incredible. comprehension and understanding and yet when it came to putting it down on a piece of paper that traditional academic can you pass an exam can you put the right answer on a piece of paper she really struggled and and there was a whole thing around you know is it just lazy because we know she's clever mm. we know she can do this stuff we know she knows this stuff but she's not putting it on a piece of paper that's just lazy right and actually we went through a couple of tests and she had some amazing teachers at her primary school she's just gone to secondary school um i'll probably talk about that later because i'm loving her school um <laughs> her primary school teacher had the wit to say if this particular child has done that exam and come out with that percentage it's the test that's wrong, not the child, because that result does not tell me who this yeah. child is and my understanding of that child since I've seen her at three. And they did all these tests. And they came back and said, you know what, your child's dyslexic. Mm. I'm like, really? She's a vivacious, you know, vivacious reader. She's you know, never seen without five books under her arm. Mm. 
can tell you the complexities of any story, can spend an hour telling you about a 20 minute episode of something. Yeah. You know, Amazing. like we get, her memory is like extraordinary, <laughs> you know, visually. Um, but she struggles to get the process of it out of her head and writing it on a piece yeah. of paper. So she can tell you about it, she'll probably draw you a picture about it, mm. but to write it, she finds a real struggle. And some of the extraordinary things that they've been doing around how do we, instead of asking her to flex to the way that we teach, how do we flex our teaching to really wrap around her and the way that her brain works and thinks and, and allow her to manifest everything about her and, and really getting her to understand that intellect, so IQ and test results are two different things. Yeah, absolutely. So let's explore that a little bit more, the education process mm. in today's world. Like when was the Eureka moment? Um, so probably a really long time ago, there's, um, there's a gentleman uh, called, I want to get his name right, what's his name, Sir Ken Robinson. Yeah. Back in 2006, he did a TED Talk. Now, I'm a huge fan of TED Talks. They're, they're bite-sized, you can, you can take them forward, and they inherently celebrate the gift of human imagination and creative capacity. It's extraordinary. Yeah. Um, and also, you roll in, in my twin status and my less than traditional approach to areas of interest. Um, and in 2006, he did an extraordinary talk. So, so Ken Robinson, he posed the question as to whether skills, schools kill creativity and he in Great his talk question. yeah in his talk he has this he has this amazing dialogue with the audience around you know kids if they don't know something they'll have a go they're not frightened to be wrong um, and and actually that not being frightened to be wrong is essential to being creative but we run our education system now to show people that the worst thing that you can do is be wrong you have to be right and and he uses an analogy where he talks about going to an nativity play and his i think his son is four or five right. and um he's getting to play joseph and the three kings come in and they present the gifts, right? And for whatever reason, the kids have got it in the wrong order. So the first one comes in and he's like, you know, I present you with gold. And the second guy goes, I present you with myrrh. And the third chap goes, Frank sent this, <laughs> right? And, and it, got the, it got the laugh and people just went with the flow, right? And there yeah. wasn't like, oh my God, no, it was meant to be Frank sent it. It was meant to be yeah, in the other yeah. words, stop the production now. It's like, they're four and that's so cute. And isn't that interesting the way that their brains worked? And um, he I also. I love that. Frank sent this. Yeah, Frank sent this. It's brilliant. And then he also um, wrote a book called Epiphany, which I massively recommend people read because I found it super helpful about how people discover their talent. And he, it, that was spurred off a conversation that he had with someone who's an incredibly successful choreographer. So she did cats and all sorts of extraordinary things, you know, world renowned. But when she was little, she was diagnosed as kind of. Um, fidgety and not paying attention and all and she was taken to a psychologist to be tested and the psychologist talked to her mother about a whole lot of stuff while she was in the room and she sort of sat on her hands trying to be still <coughs> and waiting and then the psychologist said to the mother you know can I just can I take you out of the room I just want to ask you a few things we'll leave her in the room and as he left the room he turned the radio on and like the second they left the room with the radio on she started dancing and bouncing around and and the point of this thing was that Actually, this particular child needed to move to think. And, and therefore, she didn't need to be medicated. She didn't need to calm down. She didn't need to stop being annoying. She just needed to dance, to move. 
and and she went she was immediately placed into a different environment where actually that unique That's talent so could be nurtured so he he wrote this book about epiphany and i and i love that about how how do you find that creativity and and he reflects in a really humorous and, and self-deprecating way you know education is there to take us to a future that we don't even know what it is yet and even in 2006 he was reflecting you know, in five years time we don't know what that looks like he's so right you know now we're in 2019 and we definitely know, don't know what five years into the future looks like but we educate whole swathes of children out of creativity we invite them to find the right answer you know we're treading the same path and the successful few live entirely in their heads and it's all predicated on academic ability conformity and compliance as he reflects, ultimately impoverishes our inherent human being spirit and creativity. It kills that piece we were talking about earlier, mm -hmm. curiosity. You know, we need to almost move from this industrial manufacturing approach of education to a model based on principles of kind of human flourishing being organic, not, not at all manufactured, and create conditions where we allow, allow that creativity to flourish, really personalise it mm. to the people that you're teaching. And so that's why I'm so excited about the school mm. that my daughter's in. She's come out of the London education system where it's very much hot housing and she's in a completely different space where it's very much about fostering joy and um, really looking at what motivates and that, that spirit of, my God, I want to do this every day and you can spend hours doing something but it feels like five minutes as opposed to five minutes feels like an hour and you're just hanging for the weekend. Um, and, and they really focus on building resilient, um, confident children because we don't know what we're educating them for now. If they have a general appetite for curiosity and learning and they're resilient to whatever the world chucks at them coming forward, they are going to be the mm. people who are thriving as opposed to going, oh my God, I was taught X and X doesn't apply anymore. Mm. What do I do? Oh yeah, what do I do? It's, yeah. it's, um, so we talk a lot in the office about find your way around the leaf and it's from... Um, the Disney film, or is it Pixar, A Bug's Life. Okay. And, and you've got all the ants, off they go, and they're going to go get the food, and a leaf drops, mm. and one ant then goes, ah! Yeah. Because it's like, oh no, what do we do? And it's yeah. just, just walk around the leaf, it's yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. But it, it's, that's what that it That resilience to go, it's okay, we can do this, we've yeah. got it. Yeah. Make mistakes, be yeah. creative. Let's I love try the, something. the joy side, you mentioned the word joy. Yeah, super important, fun and joy, yeah. super important to so me. So I'm, I'm getting really obsessed with the fun factor, day in, day out, in Good. the office. love it. And the happiness factor. Yeah. And that thought of, it's a Sunday night, do you think, oh God, I can't go to work tomorrow, or are you thinking, I cannot wait to get in tomorrow, yeah. I'm excited about what I'm yeah. doing this week. Yeah. And we get that in, in education, we get that in the workplace, and yeah. suddenly... Our economy, yeah, everything moves. Everything's forward. lifting. Yeah, everything. Yeah, lifting. I mean, I I used to run a team that was nearly all ladies when I was at Citigroup. We had a team nearly all ladies, which was unusual in itself. And we sat next to another team that mostly um, spoke, even with them themselves, on instant messenger. Right. So they wouldn't even turn to the person that was literally at their elbow and have a conversation. It would be on instant oh, messenger, right? Like zero interaction, and yet somehow they're super connected because they're using tech, right? Right. And and we used to make a point of, if things were really stressful, if things were a bit much, so all around sort of the 9-11 occurrences, all those kind of things, you needed to bring a bit of flippancy in just to kind of decompress and breathe. Yeah. And so we would, I don't know if people are old enough, to, maybe there's a modern version, 
There's a game called Guess Who that children have where you flick mm. the faces down that and you have to guess. guess. You know, they're wearing a hat, do they have yellow hair, yeah, have they got a ludicrous 70s moustache, mm. whatever it might be, because that's the images we had on my version. Um, and we would do a quick game of best of three, Guess Who, just to kind of like decompress, have a bit of a laugh, and then crack on. Yeah. And the team beside us decided that we were clearly having too much fun, we weren't getting any work done, sat on a trade floor, taking up space, etc., etc. And interestingly, when they complained about us, they were moved off the floor by general consensus because actually, yes, we were having fun. Yes, we were being loud. But do you know what? We were amazingly productive. Everyone was a joy and, and pleasant to have around. Mm. And they were just a black hole mm. that didn't even speak amongst themselves. Mm. And they were moved to a different floor. And I love that. That's great that they were moved rather than, yeah, than you loved guys. It. I think that's so important. Yeah. So, and we wanted to talk about your thoughts on Fourth Revolution and how that impacts our day to day. Maybe if we move on to that. Sure, no problem. So for those who I'm sure everyone's intimately familiar with the four um, industrial revolutions as it were but the first one is sort of water and steam so sort of 17th 18th century water and steam to mechanize production yeah and then the next one is around the age of science and electricity with mass production then we move the third revolution is around computing and digital technology to automate production and now we have this phrase the fourth industrial revolution which was coined by a guy called Klaus Schwab yeah. at the World Economic Forum in 2015 and yeah. that looks at sort of fusing physical digital and biological worlds together so that's um, AI artificial intelligence it's machine learning yeah. it's all of those those new ways of um, getting to things faster quantum um, computing all yeah. of those things that we're, we're bumping into now and sort of really trying to understand around in terms of ethics mm. how it's applied how we remove bias all of those kind of things in in that piece um, so for me I'm kind of looking at that thinking okay so we've got an education system that's still based on the sort of the first second industrial revolution about basically creating that conformity and just sort of create process. But now we've got robots doing that. Mm. So if we... So yeah, we, robots can conform. Yeah, robots can conform. We're not going to. And they are much better at, about doing things exactly as you need them. And, and, and in all of those sort of processes, you know, that's what they're good at. So great, let's take the human out of that. Let's de-risk it. Let's, you know, remove the boredom. Because mm. quite frankly, those things are generally very boring. And then we look at humans and we say, actually, wh what is the... the the great thing about human beings, well, you know, they are, they're really good at being creative if you let them, you know, you've got to have all that thinking about the sort of the visual, the, the sound aspect, the kinetic mm -hmm. aspect, um, you know, the sort of slightly dynamic and interactive aspect of it. And then people have talked about STEM, I think, for a while through yeah. the third industrial revolution, but now we've got STEAM, yeah. where you're bringing the arts back into it. And you know, from a legacy perspective, again, with my arts background, yeah. mm. um, I am totally loving that. Because when we look at the arts, often it's the first thing that's scrapped when you're at school, right? Don't think creatively, just get the right answer. And you've got maths, you've got languages, and then you've probably got arts down the bottom in terms of the hierarchy mm. of what's important. And then even with arts, you've got a hierarchy from that. So maybe music and art is better than drama or dance. Yeah, that might be a bit further down. But actually, all of those things are super important. So we've now got STEM becoming STEAM. So the science, technology, engineering, arts and maths, because it's all well and good that we can think of amazing things in which we can apply this you know, fantastic technology that's coming through. Mm. And, brilliant for that but but are you actually applying technology are you looking for the problems to apply the technology to are you really solving problems 
and and you you need the creative element that the human can bring to it the overlays are here we understand what the pinch point is for all these different sorts of people and then if we look at all of these things how do we creatively think about how we design both in terms of an outcome or thought or whatever it is using science technology engineering etc mm. to find a solution for whatever that problem is yeah. to to really simplify people's lives and yeah. And give them back their their human beingness yeah. rather than their human doingness. Doingness, yeah. yeah. So and this is everything that you stand for. Isn't yeah, it? I'm just like be be yourself, be human being, and, and allow yourself. It's almost like like shake those shackles off and yeah. just be free to mess up, be yeah. free to come up with an idea. Because even when I mean, people talk about bring your whole self to work or bring your authentic self to work, yeah. but but actually, who does? Because actually, if if you want it, yeah, it's completely dangerous. And, and I think there's a very narrow view on that that says, you know, if you're gay, be gay. If you're Muslim, be Muslim. But it's not actually saying be you. You're still being a, a label mm. and you're allowed to be those well understood labels. But actually, if you're someone who's most creative at three o'clock in the morning while rocking in a corner, mm. they don't want that. Yeah. Um, but that's your authentic self. Mm. Um, so again, you know, I'm, I think we're, we're getting there and we're really beginning to understand that we are beings, not doings, and we've got robots for doings now. Mm. So isn't it great that we've got this extraordinary mm. opportunity to really bring every individual Very character exciting. to, the, to yeah. the fore and sort of see where that takes us? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so for you then, what would you say is next on, on your horizon? Um, well, of my, of my two, so I've got my working role and I've got obviously my home role. If, if my daughter gets to the end of her school life and she is a robust and resilient and happy adult, Mm -hmm. um, who's any good at this adulting thing? Yeah. Um, you know, I can definitely die happy. Um, that that would be just a real kind of moment for me. Yeah. In terms of my current role, I'm you know working at Lloyd's, looking after their accelerator and incubator programs. In terms of the external engagement factors, not the internal labs. Um, bringing people around that collective purpose. You know, supporting nascent talent. And being a part of the potential magic that results off the back of that and sort of joining up the dots of, oh, I saw this person you know, and I'd spoken to you about this and here's something that we could all get you all together in a room and really kind of bounce off each other. Where you've got sort of boundless opportunities for discussion and creation, then A, it's an enormous privilege to be part of that experience, but I definitely want more of it. Mm. You know, I'm, I bring the jazz hands and, yeah. and get everybody in a room and, and see where the magic takes us. I love that. I, yeah. I, I do say a lot, I want more, and I think it's good to, to, to want more. Because Stay it means curious. You're, yeah, you're moving in the right direction. Um, I really, really loved this podcast. Like, thank you so much for coming, coming on the show. But um, everyone listening, imagine this type of thought diversity in your team, in your business, in your life. You've definitely got to get in touch with Kate. Um, and it's been abs an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Great to speak to you. And remember, potential magic, be a human being. Thank Thanks, you, Nadia. Kate. Thanks. <laughs>